the pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to the John DePietro Show. Good afternoon, one and all. Here I am. It is one. It's John DePietro on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at the website, which is DePietro.com. And good afternoon to everybody. We have our uh, Facebook Live stream going that is up. And uh, there's Kogi. That's exactly right. You know, I sent uh, I sent uh, uh, Coogan, uh, R.E. Coogan and Heating, I sent them a referral just yesterday on Facebook of uh, kind of a notable Rebecca who, uh, folks, I saw someone post, does anyone know of someone that does plumbing and heating? And what did I do? I immediately, Juan jumps in. See, that's the thing that if you are a sponsor, supporter of the program, folks, it never ends. I am helping people literally, that is my calling in life uh, all the time. And uh, those that um, follow the program know that. I immediately told her, wait a minute, someone's posting any recommendations for someone for plumbing. I think it was plumbing and heating, or at least it was plumbing. When I see plumbing, heating, and cooling, what do I think? Don't tell me. I'll give you a hint, folks. Here it is. I think... R.E. Coogan and Heating. There you go. Holding right up to the uh, our nice camera with the live stream. R.E. Coogan and Heating. Folks, call them today. And uh, who knows? Maybe little Blake Coogan answers the call. Call them 732-6562. I told Rebecca, call R.E. Coogan and Heating today. I didn't hesitate. Because, folks, the thing about R.E. Coogan and Heating. Now, what I like, and I'm trying to be objective what I like about them and why I recommend them. Went there yesterday. Great. Why I recommend them is because they're helpful, number one. Number two, trustworthy. Number three, reliable. Look at that. Went yesterday. Juan referred. Boom, they're on the case. R.E. Coogan and Heating. Plumbing. Heating. Cooling. As Coogie says, let us into your home. Oh, don't fix it alone. R.E. Coogan and Heating. Call them today. Now, we're spring into summer. Talk to them about cooling. What, do you want to be sweating in your house all summer long? What, are you kidding me? What, are we playing third world here? What if we lose power? <clears throat> you want to make sure you're nice and comfortable. R.E. Coogan and Heating. Call them today. 732-6562. Look for them online and then also they're on Facebook, R.E. Coogan and Heating, it's Coogs. And remember, they also, they back the blue. Well, good afternoon, one and all. Here I am, it is Juan. We have a, um, our new lieutenant governor, new lieutenant governor, as we had been predicting. And I'll even go so far as to say that uh, I, I feel very confident and comfortable saying uh, that it was on this show that we were the first ones. We were. We were the first ones. Uh, and it, I gave credit to him last hour. It was actually Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe that first floated because I'm telling you, everyone was saying that it was going to be the former mayor of, of Central Falls, James Diosa, who it was not. <clears throat> no, it was Sabina Matos. She spoke a uh, short time ago. I was um, going to uh, I was going to go and cover it Facebook Live but I wasn't sure it was time going to end, and we had to be on the air for 11, and thus uh, it did not. But obviously, I um, was monitoring it, folks, and um, he did make the announcement. And, you know, we obviously, uh, you know, wish her the best. Uh, our new lieutenant governor, uh, Sabina Matos, the head of the Providence City Council, and they took some questions. It was a little bit of an outburst. And I know the reporter that did it, uh, Ronaldo. I thought it was a little... Unfair. I don't know why he did that. <clears throat> uh, I'm a, actually, I think I'm going to talk to him about it. It's not the first time. And he's had these instances. He has these different blowouts. Uh, but uh, but it was today at the Rhode Island State House. Uh, all the speculation is over. I know some people, they don't know her. Uh, the office, it's what they're going to make of it. Uh, but I do think... Um, that, you know, this is tremendous for her. I've heard good things about her. And I want to play. She did uh, speak to uh, the media uh, a little bit at her briefing. I want to hear. Do I have the part? Here we go. This is our new lieutenant governor. Thank you. 
vacuna tenga acceso a la vacuna. Asegurarnos que la vacuna sea disponible en los vecindarios cerca de las, de las personas que la necesitan. Correct. Eso yes. es lo que That's right. Y como representante, yes. algo que es muy importante para mí es yep. a asegurarnos de que haya viviendas oh, accesibles a bajos precios en todos well, los lugares. Y estoy buscando con la oportunidad de trabajar. You know, that's actually very true. Now that's an That's it. Now, I want to go back to where they were being uh, heckled a little bit in the very beginning. Yeah, so we're starting So there's a. Uh, yeah, so that's ridiculous. They're saying that this was about re-election. He chose her to get re-elected. Well, to win as governor. Listen to this. You know, I, I think that was a little, I, I, I'll, I'll be, you know, I thought that was unfair. I mean, this is obviously a shining moment for the new lieutenant governor. And to be saying, you know, the first question out of the box, I think that was Ian Donis from Rhode Island NPR. Was saying, is it, you know, you only chose her so it'll help you win the Democrat primary. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there's always going to be politics involved, folks. There are. And especially when when he he had to select someone. There was a selection process. Now, next September, uh, <clears throat> next year, she would then run for lieutenant governor. And then we're going to find out if she can win the office outright. But that was... Um, I was a little surprised at that. And then the second thing, to say that people are against it, I, I don't know. I don't think I I don't think I agree with that. I thought that one was a little rough as well. We're um people are against this and you're a sellout and uh I I thought that was um I thought, I thought that was a little No, I did. I thought that was a little rough. And that's her, you know, you you're so proud to be up there and you have a, a, a right to be proud and then suddenly like out of the box um these people are like taking pop shots at you let me hear um take all of us here we go working together. all right this is better is one team uh, and as i said one housing is a real issue as well hold so on folks there's gonna be a, a big role and there's gonna be a part of governors who have and then now for the governor all right, here's the new lieutenant governor. Oh. Hold on. Thank you. Here we go. Y también siento el peso de la responsabilidad que eso significa. Cuando uno es el primero en algo, tiene una responsabilidad Now, muy grande de asegurarse de hacer un buen trabajo para no dañar la imagen de los que puedan después. They are para mí es totalmente un honor Providence, esta oportunidad Tucket, y de compartir Central este momento Falls, acá Newport, afuera con mis uh, amistades y mis familiares y um, las, las jóvenes de la familia. They have someone who is bilingual, who is a female, who became an American citizen, and Asegurarnos de que haya viviendas asequibles a bajos precios en todo el estado de Rhode Island. Y estoy buscando la oportunidad de trabajar con el gobernador en asegurarnos que haya una agenda de todo el estado para crear más viviendas. 
because I don't see how, or I should say, I want to see how the the Democrat Party are going to try to go against him with with all of that. So I think that's going to be um, a, a big. That's going to be difficult for them, folks. If you're Team McKee, who again, I, I and I want to mention this. I covered his briefing yesterday. The guy supports charter schools. He's not in the pocket of the teachers union by any stretch. If he was, then he would be not in favor of, of charter schools. He would be caving to the public school teacher unions, giving them basically whatever they want. And they're saying that they don't want the state to to control the state takeover of Providence. He's not doing that. Um, he has a right. Let me be very clear. He has a right to choose who he's going to choose to be his lieutenant governor. So some of the other people that were up, I, I listen, I like to live in reality. You can't ignore the optics of, of where we are right now in 2021. Now, uh, I think, I, you know, I was actually, and I know some people may not be in favor of it, but he has waters to navigate where he has Seth Magazina, the general treasurer, is going to run against them. Mayor Alors is going to run against them. I think it's a very interesting development. If you missed our 11 o'clock hour, we had a great first hour of the program where uh, we discussed and it's floated out. And this would be interesting if Seth Magazina, the general treasurer, taps and convinces Secretary of State Nellie Gorbia to run with him as a ticket. I know some, and then that leaves Alorza like without a uh, a date for the dance. So that puts, I think, May, Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza at a at a at a disability. If everyone's like peering up, suddenly he's he's just third wheel. Now that would be if Seth Magazina can convince Nelly Gorbia that to be his lieutenant governor nominee. I believe, and we have a guest coming up at twelve thirty about voting in Rhode Island. See, I still think. Gorbia and her chief of staff, who's running for mayor of Providence, I think that um, that they feel that they have, you know, the right voting list in order to win. And it needs to be done away with. Now, Patricia Morgan, Representative Morgan, is going to join me coming up next hour on another bill in the Rhode Island schools where they basically want to go around the classroom and have every, the way I understand this, where she's going to join me next hour, where every white child has to apologize to any children that are in the room that happen to be people of color because of their apologizing for their white privilege. I think that's wrong. Uh, I don't think, I some of the people that are just obsessed about this, and they are absolutely obsessed about it, but they're trying to change the natural course of things. They're trying to, you know, uh, Martin Luther King was about everyone treated equal. We're going in the opposite direction. Do you know Columbia? Columbia, which is a tremendous school in Ivy League in New York City, they're having six different graduations. One graduation is for African-American students. A separate graduation is for Asian students. A third, six graduations, different. Third one's for white students. Fourth one is for Asian students. Fifth one is for gay students. And then the sixth one is for, I think, for trans. I'm not exactly sure of the six different ones. But how is that? Isn't that segregate? That's not bringing people together by any stretch. Now, we have a special voting guest that's going to join us coming up. Folks, this portion of the program, though, of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center. They are, da da da, sound the trumpets officially open for the season. Stop it and see beautiful selection of pansies, pansy flats, pansy bags, hangers. Debbie and Steve and Junior Byron, uh, the pansies are in assorted colors. They've done a tremendous job. Now, listen, it's nice out. It's Holy Week. Get your Easter plants. Take a ride to Rhode Island's number one garden center. It's PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center. Shop local, a local business. Tulips, hyacinthias, daffodils, hydrangeas, hydrangea color. There's a blue, white, and pink, and they pop, and they're going to look beautiful on your property. They also carry many landscape materials, including screen loom, black, brown, hemlock, and mulch, crushed stone. You can look for them on Facebook, PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center. Stop and see them. 3688 Quaker Lane in North Kingstown. They're right off of Route 4. Open every day, seven days a week. Stop and give them a call, 295-4399. 
It's PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center. Well, folks, good afternoon. Here I am. It is Juan. It's John DePietro. This portion of our program. Now, remember, visit the website, DePietro.com, uh, because if you're right now on this Wednesday and you're dealing with some aches and pains, I want you to contact Lisa Wood, Reflexology Lisa Wood. You can text her at 742-6621. Dana Scholes would love this. It's it's different than massage. It's souls, relaxed souls, S-O-L-E-S, because what it does is it works from inside out. It's not like you get on the table uh, like that. Re- reflexology, she works on your hands and your feet and your ears and your face. It boosts the immune function, healing from inside out. These are pressure points where especially the feet respond to organs, systems of the body. Reflexology. Lisa Wood, text her, 742-6621. Relax souls. You can also um, link right through at the website, which is petro.com. Now, I played last hour. You know, I don't know what it is with that. Um, Matt, did you see the interview on Tucker last night? It was uh, right after, as I was watching it, this guy is odd. I know he was a Trump supporter, but there was just something, there's just something odd about him that I never fully got. And I'll play some of it next hour, I think. But I also want to play, so Dan McGowan is there, and this is uh, one of the stops where Governor McKee is with his new lieutenant governor, and she's now Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos. And here's someone they stopped in in Providence, and he's saying she's always she's been there for us all the time. Let me just play a little bit of this. So they're making the rounds, and he's saying uh, this gentleman that she's always been there for them. So there they are in um, in in making uh, the rounds regarding that. So, but this business of if you caught it, Matt Gates, uh, Gates, excuse me, last night with Tucker. I mean that. I don't care if he's a conservative or Republican. I don't care if he is um, a Trump supporter. I like Tucker Carlson. I found the whole thing just odd. The guy was odd. Tucker thought it was odd. Afterwards, Tucker said, I th- think that's the strangest interview that we've ever done. Um, it was just uh, the whole thing was just bizarre. They had him on. The story's coming out. Somehow they thought it would be, um, well, let's get him on with uh, let's get him on with Tucker right away to start to go after this. But even right afterwards, um, Tucker Carlson said, I, I think that was the strangest interview that we've sex trafficking ever done. Potentially having a relationship with a 17 year old. It was. It was. Um, I, I don't know what to make other than the guy kept. Matt, Congressman Matt Gates kept stressing that he didn't travel with the 17-year-old. He didn't travel with her. But, you know, this business of softball, Tucker Carlson clearly didn't know exactly everything that was involved with it. And I don't know if you want to say he threw him under the bus, but he... um, he he just um he he just even admitted like I, I don't really know you. I don't know what you're talking about. Um it was it was just if there's somebody like this and then thinks that they're gonna get a free pass uh with the whole thing, then I, I'm glad that afterwards Tucker Carlson said you know, I think that's one of the weirdest interviews that we've ever conducted. I have sound of that, actually. That's Here true. we go. If you just saw our Matt Gates interview, that was one of the weirdest interviews I've ever conducted. <laughs> that story just appeared in the news a couple of hours ago. And on the certainty that there's always more than you read in the newspaper, we immediately called Matt Gates and asked him to come on and tell us more, which, as you saw, he did. I don't think that clarified much. Uh, but it certainly showed this is a deeply interesting story, and we'll be we'll be following it. Don't quite understand it. But we'll bring you on when we find out. I thought it was good. It was odd. 
Um, you could tell he was thrown right away. I see these people online that are immediately blindly defending this guy. And I just, I warn people, you know, you have to, I know people like to just chant, fake news, the road to get like, but there's something very odd that the father was wired up in claiming that they wanted how much? $25 million? And recently, by the way, he was already saying that he was going to leave. So I know he's a Republican. I know he was tight with the Trump White House. Um, but I, I think people, some of these people online that are defending him, like, here we go again, fake news. Like, I, I'm not convinced of that. I don't know this guy. He's, he's odd. Uh, he seems odd. His whole demeanor was somewhat strange. 38 years old. The allegation is that he was, all right, so he didn't travel with her, but he maybe bought a 17-year-old a plane ticket to meet him somewhere. I didn't, tra- yeah, we know that, but still a strange. Um, and, and, you know, I have to admit, I didn't realize that under federal law, under federal law, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow with our legal expert, Tim Dodd, but it's a, it's a crime to transport someone under the age of 18 across state lines. So now in Rhode Island, the age of consent, I'm not even sure. It's either 16 or 17. So um, I, it could be, I don't remember. But apparently, I didn't realize under federal law, you can't transport someone under the age of 18. So as much as he's saying that he didn't, he didn't travel with her. That sounds very carefully worded. He didn't travel with the 17-year-old. But his whole demeanor of then trying to drag Tucker in on the whole thing, I thought that was very odd. You could tell Tucker's like, where are they going with this? Um, his father <laughs> was wearing a wire. I, I think, uh, I don't know what. What what went on uh, with this whole thing? I don't. But that was um, well. It was good live television. It was good live television. Gate, Matt Gates said to be investigated possible sex with a seventeen year old that he may have flown to Washington D.C. Uh, and listen, you know, I I don't know what what happened with that. But if he thinks that somehow that everyone's just going to come to, I noticed he didn't go on Hannity last night. He didn't go on with Laura Ingram last night. I think they want to. Be cautious in, in dealing with this particular individual after that um, rather bizarre interview. Now, as I mentioned, folks, um, we are going to talk to a, a voting expert coming up. And we are going to also talk with Representative Patricia Morgan next hour regarding um, this the next hour regarding this uh, story about a bill where they want to have it that. Uh, as I said, I'll let her explain it a little bit. But uh, Representative Patricia Morgan, I give her credit. She is, is I think, on the path with the right type of stories. That's the way I would describe it. I think that um, that they are, she is, you know, the voting bill is wildly important, as we're going to talk about. And... Um, Is there sound on this with Alorza? There is. Let me just play. Uh, Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza said no change is going to happen until the contract is radically reformed. Um, the mediation did not work in the past. He wants to invoke the powers of the Crowley Act. I'll play that later then. Um, I, I agree with, with all of that, by the way. And like I said, I give uh, Governor McKee credit for taking up the issue. And saying that we're not going to just fold on this whole thing and go to go to charter schools, that we're, we're simply not going to just fold to the teachers union. He is a big supporter of the charter schools. But regarding the voting in Rhode Island, I'm going to call right now Jason Sneed with uh, Honest Elections. And um, and we're going to talk to him a little bit. He is an expert. In case you missed it yesterday, we did post it on the website. Hi there, folks. Joining us right now is Jason Sneed of Honest Elections. Uh, Jason, it's John DePietro. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. 
Now, uh, first of all, if you don't mind, if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, honest elections, what you do, comparing different states. And because uh, people are wondering, you know, how did we land where we are right now in the state? We're in Rhode Island. Uh, and we certainly appreciate the fact that you would testify with uh, the help of Representative Patricia Morgan. They're planning on making it law things that were initially supposed to just be put in temporarily during the pandemic. Well, that's right. So, so first of all, my group, the Honest Elections Project, we are a nonpartisan, nonprofit watchdog, uh, and we we use public advocacy, public engagement, and litigation to defend everyone's right to a, a free and fair election. And so, we are engaged uh, on a, a number of fronts at the federal level and in the states, trying to at bottom make sure that it is both easy to vote and hard to cheat. Uh, now, right now, what we're seeing is this uh, tremendous burst of energy and enthusiasm for voting issues. And unfortunately, a lot of that energy is sort of going in opposite directions. So you've got some states like Georgia that are working on and passing meaningful reforms that balance expanded access with the need for integrity and security for the voting process. And then we see others, um, uh, including, unfortunately, I think Rhode Island, that are moving in the other direction. And that are prioritizing what they term ease of voting or, or voting access above all else. And in the process, adopting policies that when you run down the list would wind up actually compromising the integrity of the process, exposing it to unnecessary risk of abuse and ultimately potentially harming public confidence in the voting process. Jason, could you touch on I can't believe the fact that Major League Baseball is talking about moving the all-star game out of georgia now you have hollywood stars saying they're not going to film there i i don't i'm not following this what to, to me all georgia did was firm it up a little bit as you say easy to vote hard to cheat they basically just firmed it up to ensure that they're going to have reliable trustworthy elections well, that's absolutely right. Look, I mean, right now you're hearing a tremendous amount of rhetoric about the, the Georgia law, and you're hearing a number of, of, of very important national figures up to and including the president of the United States calling this voter suppression, saying that this law is making it harder for people to vote. Uh, in fact, um, uh, virtually everything that you're hearing on that side of things is an outright lie or a mistruth. Um, and if you can believe it, even the Washington Post actually gave gave uh, four Pinocchios to, to President Joe Biden before spreading false information about the, uh, about the Georgia law. Here's the, the, the thrust of the law. It does a couple of things, and then it, it actually does quite a lot. But the two main things are, one, it expands the number of, of early voting opportunities by mandating an additional day of weekend voting before an election. So it actually makes it easier and more convenient for people who want to vote early to do so. And then when it comes to absentee balloting, it requires that people comply with a voter identification requirement just like they would if they're going to vote in person at a polling place. So they just have to write their driver's license or a state ID number on their ballot, and then that becomes the means of verifying the voter's identity. It is That is it, really. These are, are generally popular measures, and nevertheless, the, the left is attacking this as voter suppression, attacking this as Jim Crow 2.0, uh, using an incredible amount of, of, of talking points and rhetoric that have nothing to do with the actual facts of what Georgia just did. Do you think, Jason, that uh, the reason why some people are reacting this way is because of that it was misrepresented with President Biden with this whole, I mean, the whole thing, I mean, it's so dramatic with uh, this is Jim Crow type, type voting. Do you think his misleading statements on that is what, you know, led the reaction in this way? Well, no, I mean, I think that it, it, it actually, this type of rhetoric has been um, has been a pretty commonplace thing on the left for a number of years now. And even before Georgia passed its law, you saw uh, folks like Stacey Abrams, like the two new uh, Georgia Democratic senators, uh, using this exact same type of rhetoric. But the, the, the bottom line here when it comes to this sort of thing is this. If, the, if, if a particular voting law, it does not comport entirely with a progressive agenda. If a particular voting law is passed uh, and some 
signed by uh, by Republican politicians and progressive activists will attack it as voter suppression. And that's why, for instance, you can see in states like Georgia that actually have fairly expansive voting opportunities for early voting and absentee voting, they get pilloried when they pass a voting law. But when New Jersey passes a law that actually offers fewer days of early voting, they're hailed as a voting rights leader. So that gives you a sense, I think, of the sheer hypocrisy and unfortunately the deeply partisan and cynical uh, nature of a lot of this attack. Now, how familiar are you with Rhode Island and our voting? They, they do what I think are a lot of things that, um, you know, the 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 ballot harvesting has become very popular in the state. They want to move to permanent unnotarized mail ballots. Last uh, year, uh, everyone in the state was complaining that they were receiving unsolicited mail ballot applications. And a lot of people just threw them in the mail. However, not everyone did. I know of a landlord that he received 22 mail ballot applications for tenants that had lived in his units. And a less scrupulous person, all he had to do was then send it back and boom, they send out a mail ballot to that application. So what can you tell us about the way Rhode Island handles its elections? Well, you know, that problem that you uh, that you just mentioned is something which unfortunately is not unique to Rhode Island, but which happens all over the place. And, and it's driven by a, a fundamental problem with the way that states do or, or, or really do not clean up their voter rolls. And so because 10% of the U.S. population moves every year and because millions of people uh, either pass away or they're disqualified to vote because they've uh, been convicted of a felony, there are several different ways that you can wind up with your voter registration status changed. The voter rolls constantly need to be monitored. They constantly need to be uh, cleaned up and, and old, outdated rolls need to be, or records need to be removed from the rolls. This is just common sense. But Few states actually do this well. And so when you allow these outdated registrations to linger, you wind up inflating them with outdated, inaccurate, wrong information. And so when states then make decisions like what Rhode Island did to send ballot applications out, um, or when groups are using these lists to send ballot applications out, ballots uh, or ballot applications and ballots themselves go to people who are dead who have no longer uh, registered to, or properly qualified to vote in the state. And if you then also take away voter verifications for absentee ballots, something like a notary or a witness requirement, or even a signature match, uh, then you are certainly creating opportunities for unscrupulous people, as you say, to request ballots, to cast those ballots, and you have no meaningful tools to detect when that sort of fraud occurs. Most voters will will find that to be troubling and in fact in a recent poll that we uh, that we did it at, at uh, our companion organization HEP action 77% of american voters want photo id laws for voting 66% want photo id laws for absentee ballots and by a 3 to 1 margin voters want more safeguards for our elections so that we can have confidence in the result not fewer to make it easier to vote but unfortunately it seems as though rhode island is trending in a direction which is not popular with most voters now jason also in rhode island an x qualifies as a signature and you see that a lot with some of these mail ballots that the campaigns go out and harvest and then bring in they also pay per ballot some campaigns will pay 15 dollars a ballot so you know you can do the math you have people that will collect 1,000 mail ballots and get paid by the campaign, you know, $15,000. Um, but another thing that Rhode Island did was, it was three years ago, this, the local newspaper, the Providence Journal, used to go through the voting rolls and show the fact how there was uh, duplicates or the fact that the, the, the number of registered voters through the census was 545,000 adults. However, on the voting rolls, there were over 700,000 names. So what the Secretary of State did in Rhode Island was now if you go to our voting rolls, you can see a name and a birth date, but they remove the year. So you can't see who it is. So it's, you know, uh, you know, John Smith was born November 1st, but you don't know uh, what year it was. And so John Smith, who lives in Pawtucket, could be listed or Providence five times, all born on November 1st. But 
they don't have the year. Now, I noticed that during the course of the, um, you know, after the election in November, you could go on certain states, Pennsylvania was one, and you could see the year, the person, the birth date. Uh, what do you think of the fact Rhode Island lifted the year so it's impossible to tell many times if it's duplicate or when the person was born or you could have the same name living in five different communities. You know, John Smith lives in five different places around the state and they were all born on November 1st. Well, look, I mean, my, my, my reaction is this. It is in, it is imperative that state officials take their list maintenance duties seriously. You know, they've got access to all of the voter records. They've got access to the full information. And you really need that information in order to do a list maintenance um, uh, operation and identify duplicate records properly. Uh, because it, whether um, uh, whether that particular John Smith with a birth date of November 1st hypothetically is the same as this other John Smith with a birth date of November the 1st is an open question. And, um, you know, having looked at a lot of these records, I can tell you that there are a lot of false positives, if you will, where there really are two people with the same name and the same birth date. It's, it's unusual, but um, uh, nevertheless, you do run into that problem. So this is why it's so important that state officials take this seriously, that they be running programs for the state and that they be routinely going through the voter rolls, uh, attempting to contact voters who haven't voted in a series of federal elections because that's a, a sign that the person may no longer be in the state and then beginning the process for ultimately removing that registration. You don't want this to be a process which is unduly hasty for instance, so you, so you don't wind up removing a proper registration. But there is no excuse to allow registrations to linger. Nevertheless, many states do have this problem, and that's why uh, when you look at, uh, at, at it on a jurisdiction level, you find hundreds of counties that have more than 100% voter registration. Now, that's obviously statistically impossible. What that actually reflects is the fact that they just haven't gone through and removed these outdated, inaccurate, or duplicative entries. My organization actually supported a lawsuit in Michigan that just a couple of months ago successfully prompted the Secretary of State there to remove 177,000 outdated records from the state's rolls and start a process of list maintenance after finally acknowledging that they were not meeting their obligations to do that under federal law. Now, folks, again, we're speaking with Jason Steed. And Jason, do you have a website that people could go on and get more information about your organization? Absolutely, absolutely. It's honestelections.org, uh, and we are also on Facebook and Twitter at Honest Elections, and you can find uh, updates on all of our activity uh, either on social or at that website. Who are some? What are some states in your mind where they, as you say, make it easy to vote, hard to cheat? Who are some states that are doing it well? Well, I think that there are a few states that uh, that, that come to mind. You know, certainly Georgia, after the improvements that they have done to yep. their voting system, uh, Ohio also does this very well. Uh, when we're looking at uh, a state that does uh, run elections particularly well, though, the model that we and, and others often come back to is actually Florida. Hmm. Um, after 2000, after Florida became the, the butt of just about every political choke in the country for right. a while, uh, they, they really knuckled down and spent the next um, uh, truly 20 years going through and doing the hard work, the nuts and bolts type work to tighten up their election laws and practices, improve the function of the system so that they can actually deliver uh, clean and accurate and reliable uh, elections to their voters. And sure enough, uh, they showed that, uh, uh, and quite proudly, I think, in 2020, the way that they the way they tackled the problems of the pandemic, the way that they handled a surge in mail voting, the way that they processed and tallied a record number of votes um, on election night, essentially, and then just went to bed with us knowing who had won the state of Florida. Uh, compare that to the way that other jurisdictions, like uh, parts of Pennsylvania, particularly Philadelphia, struggled for weeks to count ballots. It becomes, I think, pretty clear that Florida Florida really is a model on a number of fronts for how to conduct an election where voting is easy, but where it is also secure and where voters can have confidence in the system. Folks, again, we're speaking with Jason Sneed, honestelections.org. He's the executive director. And Jason, I'll be honest with you. I, I, um, 
I'm someone who I voted, you know, I've always voted since I was 18 years old. I come from a family, both my parents always voted. It was, my parents used to say, you know, we, we don't need to know who you're voting for, just be part of the process. I have lost, and I'm telling you, nothing to do with President Trump, but I have no faith in our local election system because in Rhode Island, they don't give me reason to have faith in the election system. The Secretary of State in 2017, when they removed the, the year of birth, um, they first said, because somehow it was going to be they don't want to disenfranchise anyone. Then she switched it to say, oh, this is about identity theft. But it doesn't make any sense that other states have all this information online. But somehow Rhode Islanders, there's been there was no evidence at all that anyone's ever had their identity stolen because their information was was posted online. But when you don't have like right now, the Rhode Island election rolls are over 800,000. But there technically should only be 545,000 registered adults. Jason, from another element of this is in Rhode Island, no one is, if you go to sign up to vote, no one is denied. Everyone that goes to register to vote, you're allowed to register. You can get a free voter ID and they don't ask for any identification to prove you are who you say you are. Well, the... The, the fundamental issue here is that voters need to be sure that the election is a fair one and that the people who win are are indeed the choice of the voters. And so that means that you at, at, at the start have to do a few things. One is you have to have an election system that is capable of verifying the eligibility of the people who are actually casting ballots. So that's the voter registration process, keeping the voter rolls clean. That's what we've been talking about. You also have to have tools in place to screen for and detect and stop attempts to commit fraud. And so because fraud occurs to some degree in every uh, election cycle, you always have to be on guard. A a simple analogy that I often draw is we do not see very many bank robberies these days, but every bank in the country still has a vault, still has a security system, and still asks for ID before they'll give you access to a safe deposit box or a checking account. So that's just a common sense preventative. Just the same as, you know, everyone locks their door at night, whether they've been the victim of a burglary or not. So we have to always be on guard for voter fraud. And that means you have to be aware of the avenues where where it is perpetrated, where it's most easily committed, and then close those off. That's why a vote trafficking ban, so harvesting bans is another term for it, uh, are such a good idea. That's why witness requirements and, and voter identification laws for absentee ballots are such a good idea. And then you also have to have systems in place at the back end of the system for canvassing and tabulating results that deliver prompt and accurate returns so that voters can know with certainty who won. You have to convince the the, the voters writ large that the winner of an election won fairly, and just as importantly, that the loser lost fairly if you're going to continue to get buy-in for the voting system. Can you also touch on, and again, folks, we're speaking with Jason Sneed, and I appreciate his time, executive director, honestelections.org. Jason, in Rhode Island, like like other states, but in Rhode Island, we do have a large number of people that are living in the country undocumented. Uh, We have a huge Guatemalan population in the city of Providence, which is a sanctuary city. The mayor of Providence happens to be from Guatemala, and so he's running a sanctuary city. There are uh, people, officials, that say these people are in the state. They are residents of the state. They work in the state. Therefore, they should be eligible and allowed to vote in the state. Now, I try to argue, it's my understanding you're supposed to be a U.S. citizen, but we, you know, it's been reported there were over 30,000 people registered to vote in Rhode Island who are not American citizens. Well, look, I believe that the only people who should be voting in American elections are U.S. citizens and and legal adults and, you know, also are in good standing with the law. So a number of states prevent, for instance, people who have who have been convicted of a felony from voting from their prison cell or require that they demonstrate that they have turned over a new leaf after they leave prison, complete their sentence, and pay their victim restitution before they get their rights back. I think that all of these are perfectly acceptable rules to put in place on who can cast ballots in our election system, because at bottom, we are talking about um, self-government. And, uh, and, and, and it is a fundamental aspect of any self-governing nation that it's the citizens of that nation 
who are ultimately responsible for determining and consenting to being governed by the by the laws and rules of society. So I, I certainly think that uh, we ought to be making sure that while every eligible and lawful citizen can vote, it is only those eligible and lawful citizens who can vote, and that their vote is not diluted by people who should not be casting ballots in our election system. And I would venture to guess um, that the vast majority of Americans would, would be fully on board with, uh, with the premise that I've just laid out. And finally, uh, you know, Rhode Island, we we are. We're right on the cliff. If anything, maybe even going already going over the cliff. Uh, the last election in November, uh, one of the towns, the town of Barrington, um, had there were more votes tabulated than eligible voters to vote in this last election. Uh, that should be a red flag. But another problem, Jason, is as much as they will say, if you fill out, a form saying that you are an American citizen, you you sign that under penalty of perjury. But in the last 30 years, they can't find one example where anyone has ever been prosecuted uh, for filling that out under penalty of perjury. It, it's it, if you're not looking for voter interference, whatever you want to call it, voter fraud, election fraud, uh, things. If you're not looking for it, you're 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 not going to find it. Well, that's right. The, the, the fundamental truth here is that election fraud is seldom investigated and seldom prosecuted, and there are all sorts of reasons for this. So you really do have to be constantly looking for it, and I, I wish that there were more resources and more time being poured in by, uh, by our law enforcement personnel and by our officials to identify when it occurs. But certainly, if you are not looking for it, you cannot then say, we have none, because you really, truly have not spent any time looking for it, and that's not the same thing as saying that voter fraud is not happening. If you're blind to it, then you are exposing the process to continued fraud. And look, I mean, elections are a pathway to power. They are a pathway to wealth, to personal success. A great many people's ambitions and ideologies are tied up in them. There is every incentive in the process on both the left and the right, incidentally, to cheat to win an election. And that's why we have so many measures in place in a number of states to prevent it, because it's happened before. States that take these safeguards away, uh, particularly when they're doing it because they are willfully blind to the vulnerabilities in the process, are really jeopardizing not just the election system itself, but voters' confidence in our democracy overall. And that's why I think that this is such an unfortunate debate that we are seeing in our nation today. No, you're right. And just a, one last example. Uh, we have a high-profile congressman. He was one of the impeachment managers, Congressman David Cicilline. Now, when he was elected in 2010, he received 80,000 votes to win. Uh, this past November, uh, if we're to believe the results, he received 180,000 votes. Now, I think you would agree a state that we're, we, we're, gonna, we're in the um, process of losing a congressional seat due to declining population. Jason, I think you would agree with me. It's it's rather unusual to gain 100,000 new voters in a 10-year period. Well, some of that would depend, obviously, on demographic shifts. And I'd have to take a closer look okay. at the data before I, I, I judge that. But, um, you know, look, I, I, I will just kind of close out here, I guess, by saying that it's, it is incredibly important to have elections that have transparency and accountability. And we know what the basic requirements look like when it comes to safeguarding our elections. And I really do hope that every state will move away from some of the ideologically driven talking points, really, that are guiding this discussion and start looking at what what most voters want and when you actually ask voters themselves it's more safeguards to improve the the the, the process overall safeguard it and ensure voter confidence for hopefully years to come one last point you know this last election in november uh they would say you know to people like me and other members of the media show us the proof you have there was you know election fraud or voter fraud and then we say you know well we want to look at the voter rolls well you can't look at the voter rolls we want to look at the ballots well you can't look at the ballots uh because of the pandemic you can't come in here you you can't how is that you can't find it if you can't never mind like there's so many votes there were five hundred twenty thousand votes in rhode island november i mean you need a computer program you can't by hand go through and find that it's somewhat unusual that someone, you know, I'll give the example, John Smith, and there were 10 of them that were born on the 4th of July, uh, that they all voted in the election. Uh, they say, well, you know, just a lot of people named John Smith were born on the 4th of July. Possible, but it would also be unusual if on July 4th, 1970, 
10 people were born in the state and they all happen to be named that. So listen, Jason, um, I appreciate the time. We will talk to you again. Keep up the good work. We're all counting on you. Folks, it's Jason Sneed. And again, the website is honestelections.org. Jason, thank you for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, folks, there it is. Jason Sneed joining us right here on the John DePietro Show. Well, folks, it's uh, 12. Let's see. It is. um, Hold on. No, it is 12.55. Now, Patricia Morgan's coming up next hour. I want to thank Patricia Morgan, who uh, helped us set up the guest. Folks, I hope you appreciate that. Everyone on Facebook Live, I'd love to see a a thumbs up. I mean, it gives you some idea that... um, you know, we are not in lockstep the way they're doing things in other states. How about Florida is now the model of how to do things? Yesterday, we had the Secretary of State of Alabama on. Um, and I also want to point out to whether you're listing right now at 1255 on AM 1380 or 99.9 FM, or maybe you're listing online or those that are on uh, Facebook. We do Facebook Live, John DePietro Show for this hour. Folks, uh, how many, where's the rest of the media on this story? Where's the rest of the media on protecting our elections? How come it's not on the front page of the paper? How come other talk hosts aren't talking? There's nothing, listen to me very carefully, there's nothing more important than preserving our elections. If the, the rules that they want to put through and make them permanent, as I've told you, if they happen, you can kiss goodbye. We will never have, you will never see, first of all, you won't have fear of elections. And you will never see another Republican elected statewide. You will never see another Republican elected statewide, either for the Senate or for any of the statewide offices. So there are some people speculating, you know, maybe Alan Fung should run for governor again. Won't matter. If if they move ahead and make this law, it is lights out. It is over. <coughs> and Patricia Morgan Talk to her next hour is leading the charge against it. Folks, I want to remind you on this Wednesday of Holy Week, a Bethel soft wash outside your home. And you're going to start to spend more time there on your home or a fence or a walkway or the side of a building or a tennis court or basketball court. You have some of that green and it's moss and it's algae. Let's get rid of it with Bethel certified soft wash. Free same-day text estimate. Take a picture of the side of your houses, the green stain and the, the moss. Maybe you thought the algae would die in the winter. It doesn't, and it can damage the surface. And text Jared at 617-2585, 617-2585. It's Bethel Certified Soft Wash. They're also on Facebook, and it is a great website, RhodeIslandSoftWashing.com. The Facebook page, the before and afters are just incredible. It's Bethel Certified Softwash. Contact Jared. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Competition Shooting Supply. Stop it and see our leader. Now, he's another one. John Francis at Competition has a great Facebook page. He always updates it with the different inventory that he has. Pop it and see him. Located 435 Benefit Street in Pawtucket. Competition Shooting Supplies. Call John Francis, 727-1716. Firearms, ammunition, accessories, competition shooting supplies. 435 Benefit Street in Pawtucket. You take exit 2A off of 95. You go past the Attleboro train station. You're driving right there. And then suddenly at the intersection of Benefit Street and Newport Avenue, you hang the left and it's right there. Competition shooting supplies. So, folks, good afternoon. It's John DePietro. Now, again, we go till 2 o'clock. Tomorrow is the COVID briefing. For what I understand, our new lieutenant governor, Governor Matos, uh, Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, will be there at the briefing. If you have a question for the governor, or if I can help you with COVID especially, please visit the website, dePietro.com. Now, folks, another hour to go. You don't want to miss this. There's a new bill. Patricia Morgan's fighting where you go around the classroom and all kids are taught about white supremacy and white privilege. She's fighting it. She's going to join me next hour. That and a lot more. Uh, AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, which is petro.com. We're going to break to get the national news at 1 o'clock. We're going to be back on the other side. The power hour is next. Leave it right here. It's the John DePetro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Stay tuned for the 1 o'clock news. We're back on the other side.